the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the radio broadcast ministry of Kettering Baptist Church, where we minister in the spirit of excellence under the leadership of our anointed senior pastor, Bukas Sterling III. Please stay tuned at the end of this broadcast for information on how to obtain a copy of today's message in its entirety. And now, Pastor Sterling. Not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the fact that he lives in me. Not ashamed. Let people know that I'm his child and he's my father. Not ashamed to tell the world that, yes, I do believe. I'm a believer. Amen. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed to live it. I'm not ashamed to say it. I'm not ashamed to tell it. I'm, I, I'm, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you're not ashamed, uh, you will have no problem. Amen. Sharing it everywhere you go, whether you're on the bus or whether you're on the metro or whether you're in your office or whether you're in the grocery store or you're not ashamed of the gospel, you'll, you'll share it everywhere you go. Amen. We're excited on this morning that we have the opportunity to stand before you and to declare the gospel and the word of the Lord as it is written in the very holy script. Uh, on this morning, we want to invite your attention to the book of Malachi, uh, chapter 3. Uh, we'll, be, we'll begin our reading there at verse number 8 of Malachi, chapter 3. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. So if you, if you can find Matthew, just go back one book. Amen. The word of the Lord in Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 8 reads as follows. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offering. You are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me. Even this whole nation has robbed him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word on this morning. Thank you for just divine insights. Lord, thank you that we have the uh, privilege to come and worship you, to celebrate you, to exalt you, to lift up holy hands before you. But now it is preaching hour, Heavenly Father, and we need your strength and we need your power that you might exalt yourself in this place, that your name might be glorified. Father, save someone who's lost and redeem and reclaim someone who's drifting and encourage someone who's running this race, Lord God, to keep on running the race. Spirit of the Lord, have thine own way. Prepare our hearts to hear from you. Use me, Lord, as an instrument. I surrender myself to you. Have your way in and through me. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray and thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Before you grab your purses and run out, (laughs) 
I ask you to just bear with me for a little while here in um, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8. For my effort on this morning is to really try to uh, just hear what God is saying today from this passage. The, the, the book of Malachi, actually Malachi, his name itself means my messenger. We understand that to be the messenger of God, Malachi meaning my messenger. And Malachi's writings are, are and, and, and occurrences transpired during a time when uh, it's about 100 years after the Babylonian captivity had ended. It's a, during a time where Persia is still in political control and has political influence over the nation of Israel. They're dealing with that, and while they're dealing with this, um, they, they're, they're also dealing with some, some economic issues because the harvest has been poor. Uh, they have not been uh, reaping from the fields what they were accustomed to. Uh, the hearts of the people had grown uh, kind of against God, uh, and they were resentful to God because God wasn't blessing like they were accustomed to him blessing. Uh, there was, uh, in the midst of the nation of Israel, uh, the priest uh, who had turned away from God. And as the priest had turned away from God, so had the people turned away from God. And there was uh, this, uh, how do I say, lack of reverence for God. And as there was a lack of reverence for God, the hope of the people that the promise of God that he had laid before him, them, uh, whatever come to pass had grown very dim, and there was this state, if you will, of moral ambivalence. There was, on the one hand, we know he's God, but on the other hand, we can't stand him. On the one hand, we know we belong to him, and we're supposed to worship him, and we'll do what we need to do, but we won't be faithful to him. There's this state of kind of moral ambivalence that's going on in the day of Malachi. And in our text today, as we look at this question that is posed here in verse number 8, the question is a relevant question even for today uh, as it relates to what we're going through because we too are living in a time where both priest and people have abandoned God. We're living in a time where there is what is declared a sermon, but the sermon doesn't come from the script. There is a, a day and time when man has uh, this lethargic attitude about God. The hope of God is growing dim in the people. And the people have also, even in our day and time, come to a place where they have become ambivalent about uh, God. They, 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 I'm a Christian, but I don't really believe all the stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I go to church, but I don't live all that stuff out. It's kind of... We're kind of half-hearted in our approaches. And in some ways, even in the same senses of oppression that uh, they were going through, we are dealing with perhaps even in our own day and time uh, the oppressions of the increases of taxes and revenues that need to be generated. We are dealing with an economic situation in time when we're not quite being blessed like we used to be, you know. The money's not flowing. The jobs aren't flowing like they used to. And so we're kind of finding ourselves in a similar uh, situation. And uh, reverence for God has dimmed even in the house of God to the extreme that we have those that 
would wear the cloth and name the name of Jesus that would also declare that we can, we can go completely contrary to his word and they have no problem standing up uh, on television, on radio, uh, in the newspaper, or any other place and declaring that somehow God was wrong. Well, this is the day, this is the time that we're living in. And so therefore, I do believe that the text for uh, this morning is relevant for us. It's applicable to us. And I just want to ask a question uh, this morning from the topic, uh, are we guilty? Um, I I just want to speak from that subject matter for just a little while. And, you know, I know that this text brings a lot of tightness to the people of God. I already know that. I I feel the tension in the air. I, I, just, I caught that when I said Malachi, somebody said, ooh. And, and then when I, when I said three and eight, and you turned there and said, will a man rob God? You said, oh, I feel it. I feel it in there. I know that there's a sense of tension. I know that there's some pressure on you there. Uh, there's some answers that you've already come up with. You've already figured out the text. You know where pastor's going. You know what he's going to preach this morning. You already know. You heard this sermon before. Matter of fact, pastor, you were in this text last year. I know because I got it written down too. But I'm not preaching last year's sermon. I, this is a whole new sermon. Amen. Amen. And, and so just bear with me as we kind of walk through this thing and ask the question, are we guilty? Are, are we guilty? Now, here, here we, uh, we begin here in, in, in verse number 8 with what is called a rhetorical question. Will a man rob God? It is a rhetorical question. That's the first movement of the text, a rhetorical question. And a rhetorical question is a question that is asked with the understanding that we already know the answer. Y'all still here? In other words, when we ask the question, will a man rob God? I mean, come on. That's a rhetorical question because we know that the answer to the question ought to be no. See, it is a rhetorical question, but what I'm hearing from your response is that maybe this is not as rhetorical as I thought it was. And so, uh, but but it should be, let me say it like that, it should be a rhetorical question. And the reason, even in your responses, it, 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 it helps me to understand even why the Lord took me in this direction. Because when I looked at the rhetorical question, and I, I said, well, this is a rhetorical question, so God, why do you even ask the question? And then your response helps me to understand why he asked the question, because it's not rhetorical to everybody. Stay here with me. But it ought to be rhetorical, and I asked the question, why should it be rhetorical? Why should we know that the answer should be no? And so I, I believe that if we walk through Scripture, and just bear with me for a moment, I'm going to give you all some Scripture you all can write down as, for the note takers. This is probably more Scripture in one sermon that I'm ever going to give and probably ever have given in my 28 years of preaching. But just, I'm just, just write it down, okay? Just, I'm going to walk through. I'm going to try to help us to know why this ought to be a rhetorical question, and we ought to know that the answer to the question, if, if someone asks, would a man rob God? We ought to know that the answer ought to be no. That wouldn't happen. No. First of all, we ought to know it, and it ought to be a rhetorical question because of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I mean, when you think about that, God is the creator. 
And so for that reason, and if you move on through Genesis and you come to the point where, where it lays out clearly that not only was he, in the beginning he created the heavens and the earth, but he also created man, which means he is creator and we are creation. And for that reason, we ought to know a man wouldn't rob God. Y'all still here with me? Psalm, chapter, Psalm 24 verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof, and all they that dwell therein. Y'all still here? Uh, Everything belongs to him. The world's his, the, the, the earth is his, and everything on the earth is his. And therefore, because he is the owner of everything. We ought to be able to answer the question. It ought to be rhetorical that no, no way that him being owner of everything would a man ever possibly consider robbing God. I'm moving on to my third one. Colossians uh, chapter 1 verses 16 and 7. 16 through 18. Colossians 1. 16 through 18 says, By him all things were created in heaven and in earth. Visible and invisible, all the thrones, all the dominions, all things that he may have preeminence over all things. Y'all still here? And so when I, when I read that text, I realized that if we comprehend he is preeminent, uh, he made all things, everything was made by him, for him, through him, and everything belongs to him, and it was done that he might have preeminence. If he is preeminent over all things, it ought to be a rhetorical question that no way a man would rob God because God is supreme and preeminent over all things. Job, I mean Exodus, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. God said to Moses, when Moses asked the question, Moses says, God, who shall I say when they ask me who sent you, who shall I say sent me? God said to Moses, I am that I am. Y'all still here? In other words, God told Moses, I am the eternal one that exists out of nothing. I am that I am. And if, if, if we comprehend that, if you're here with me and you understand that he, he is the great I am, ain't no way that man would rob the I am. Job discovered something. Job uh, chapters, chapters 40 through 42 uh, Job learned that uh, we can't contend with God. Y'all know the story of Job. Job uh, had, had, had begged and pleaded for his moment in court. If I can just get my moment in court, I'm going to prove to God that I'm righteous. I'm, I'm going to show God that, that, that he was wrong in what he did. And Job learned something in the end because God started asking him questions that he could not answer. God started asking him, Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? Matter of fact, Joe, matter of, what did I attach it to? Uh, uh, where are the lines that are drawn in the atmospheres and in the heavens? And who put the stars in? So where were you when I created the animals and, and, and all that? And, and when I feed the birds on the field and, and none of them go hungry? Joe, where were you? How, how, did you have any insight on any of that? Job said, I learned I couldn't contend with him. And he says, God, I know that you, you are, you're able to do everything. You're, you're, you're an omnipotent God. You possess all 
the power. In fact, Matthew chapter 28 comes back just in case you thought that was just an Old Testament thing. Uh, when Jesus was resurrected, Matthew chapter 28 comes back and says that when he got up from the grave, uh, all authority was given unto him both in heaven and in earth. All power belongs to him. And, at the, and then watch this. God, God the Father couldn't have given it to the Son if he didn't have it. And so if we, we understand and comprehend that he is an omnipotent God, which means he possesses all power and, and y'all got to stay here with me for just a moment that means that everything that is power it belongs to him all power is his any power that you thought you had you're just lending is just being lent to you or you're borrowing it from him because it belongs to him because all power is his and if we comprehend that he is the omnipotent God surely nobody would rob the omnipotent God Psalms 139 verses 8 and 9 says, if I ascend into heaven, behold, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there also. If I take the wings of the morning and, and, and ascend or go into the depth of the sea, uh, even there, your hand is there. Uh, uh, what what what's the psalm writer here is trying to help us to understand that he is an omnipresent God. In other words, everywhere we go, he's there. Yeah, and, and that, what, what that helps me to, to, to grab hold of is when I get to where I'm going, he's already there. And wherever I left from, he's still there. Because he's everywhere at the same time. I can't escape him. I can't run from him. I can't hide from him. And if he is an omnipresent God, oh, no way I'm going to rob an omnipresent God. Now, I might rob somebody if I figure they're not home. But if you understand, he's always home. And wherever you rob and go and take it to, he's there too. <laughs> so no, 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 no way, no way. I'm not going to rob an omnipresent God. There's, there's no way. I'm not, not going to. Psalm, Psalm 147 verse 5 says, Great is the Lord, mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. Uh, Isaiah comes back and says, Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard the Lord God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He neither faints, neither is weary. There's no searching of his understanding. He's an omniscient God. Y'all still here? Uh, and when I say omniscient, that means he knows everything. There's nothing that is to be known that he doesn't know. And if you really, really, really get down into the depth of it, if there is any knowledge at all, it's because of him. Because in him exists all knowledge. And because of him, there is something to be known. And if it wasn't for him, there wouldn't be nothing to be known because you wouldn't have a brain to know it. He's an omniscient God. And if he knows everything, and he would know if you robbed him, so therefore, nah. Man would not possibly rob God. Uh, Proverbs chapter 15 verse 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are every, in every place, keeping watch over good and evil. Mm -mm -mm. Now, if if he's uh, watch this, uh, what 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 Proverbs is saying here is that he is a, a watching everything, and if he's watching everything, if he's got eyes that are keeping sight on everything, good and evil, and and I'm trying, you know, a, a criminal uh, looks for opportunity when folk ain't watching. Amen. 
But if I realize and I understand what Proverbs is saying here, that his eyes are in every place. Watching good and evil, and I believe if we go back, uh, a couple other passages let us know that his eyes roam the earth, Chronicles, Second Chronicles. They're roaming all over, watching everything. There's nothing that escapes the eye of God. He sees everything. He's an all-seeing God. And if he's an all-seeing God, well, I understand. That's why nobody would want to rob him, because he would see them robbing him. John chapter 3, verse 16 says, uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but ever have everlasting life. Now, what, what John is saying is that he is loving us, and if he's loving us to the extreme, that he would take off his royal robe in glory, wrap himself up in limiting flesh, Live on the earth, die a brutal death, be buried in a borrowed tomb, raised again the third day, and, 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 and invite you and I to be partners with him, called his own children, adopted into his family. Surely you wouldn't rob the person who adopted you, especially not after they paid that kind of price. And, and even after adopting you, he keeps waking you up in the morning, keeps feeding you, keeps clothes on your back, shoes on your feet, car in the driveway, half a tank of gas at least. He keeps on blessing you and loving you and pouring it out every day, even when we don't love him. He loves us anyhow. Because you know it does rain on the just and the unjust. I got some neighbors don't never go to church, but it, when, when, the, when, the, when the rain come down, it rain on their yard too. Matter of fact, sometimes their yard look better than mine. That's just the love and grace of God, that he reigns on the just and the unjust. And, and if, if God is loving us that way, you wouldn't rob a person who's loving you. I mean, I might rob you if you, if you give me a hard time. And, you know, when, when it's time for me to get something, you say, no, nah, we can't afford it. But when it's ever time for you to get something, you get what you want, then I might rob you then. Husbands and wives, y'all might know something about that. But when God is constantly ever loving us, nah, we wouldn't rob him. So that helps me to understand why this question is rhetorical because he's creator, he's owner, he's uh, preeminent, he is the I am, he is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, he is ever watchful, and he is loving us all the time, and so therefore, I get it, it's a rhetorical question. Y'all still here? Then the text goes on. It says, yet you have robbed me. Now, keep in mind, before you take this too personal, tell your neighbor, this ain't personal. Not personal. It's not personal, because I, I felt y'all tighten up when I when it, when I read the word when I read the word you when I when I read when it said yet you have I I, I felt y'all tighten a little bit. But it's not personal. This is Israel. He's talking to Israel. In light of the rhetorical question, there is a response of reality. The response of the reality is yet you have robbed me. That's the response of reality. Despite all the reasons why you shouldn't have robbed me, Israel, 
yet you have. So I asked why. I was reading back and I saw the priest and the people, they didn't reverence God. They didn't respect God. They were afraid that God wasn't going to fulfill the promise, but yet they were not afraid that God was going to bring judgment. God was, had gone to sleep. He's not paying attention. To continue our journey, tune in next week for the second half of today's message. Praise the Lord. You have been listening to the radio broadcast ministry of Kettering Baptist Church under the leadership of Senior Pastor Bukas Sterling III, where we minister in the spirit of excellence. We pray that you have been richly blessed by today's message. Financial contributions in support of this ministry are welcome. We thank you in advance for uniting with us in Kingdom Building. For a copy of this sermon on CD or to hear this message again on the web, please visit our website at KetteringMinistries.org and remember to reference the title or broadcast date. We hope that you have enjoyed our journey together and we invite you to join us for one of our spirit-filled worship services Sundays at 8 a.m. or 11 a.m. at our new edifice called the Legacy Center located at 6909 Crane Highway, Upper Marlboro, Maryland. For additional information, go to our website at KetteringMinistries.org or contact our church office at 301-627-9500. Please join us again as Senior Pastor Bukas Sterling III and the Kettering Baptist Church family minister in the spirit of excellence.